We're finishing up our series today that we have called uh, Everyday Gospel, How Grace Transforms the Moments of Life. And we are going to conclude by looking at Luke, uh, the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 37 through 45. So it's in your worship guide, and it will be up on the screen, and we'll read our text first today. Luke six thirty-seven: Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And that's, I didn't know what that was. It's a briar bush, okay? The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And I'm just going to call your attention to that last phrase. Jesus gives us a principle here for life that out of the abundance or overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. There's an analogy to this in medicine. Uh, You probably don't realize now that only within the last 50 years have we been able to visualize a person's heart as it's functioning. So ultrasound was developed probably in the 1970s and it came to use in cardiology in the 80s probably. In, and most of you have heard of echocardiograms, which enable you to visualize a heart when it's functioning and to look at the flow, to look at the valves, and all those kinds of things. Prior to that time, the way doctors in the good old days had to do all this was you couldn't see the heart. So what you had to do is you had to look for signs at the end organs to be able to tell you what was going on in the heart. There's one famous doctor, a uh, colleague of William Osler up at Hopkins. His name was Edward Janeway. And Edward Janeway observed overseeing many patients that patients would come in with red lesions on their palms and soles, the soles of their feet, that were painless. You could palpate them and they wouldn't hurt. And what he correlated in the end is that these, these red lesions were actually due to heart valve bacterial infections, which is called endocarditis. And those lesions came to be known. See, if you do something like that, they'll name something after you. They're called Janeway lesions now. So don't go look at your palms and everything, but, but Janeway lesions are sort of pathognomonic. Uh, it means they, they definitely indicate a, a case of endocarditis. So Jesus has given us here the spiritual analogy of this, all right? Do you want to know what's going on in your heart from a spiritual point of view? Well, then what you do is you look at your tongue. You evaluate the words that are coming out of your mouth. The thoughts form them. 
And it tells you that over the, from the overflow or the abundance of your heart, your thoughts are formed and your mouth is speaking. And so today as we finish up Everyday Gospel, we want to consider this and to say this, that words of mercy and humility come from a gospel-saturated heart. Words of mercy and humility come from a gospel-saturated heart. And I'm going to add in there thoughts, because you can be maybe tough enough to restrain your words while your thoughts are doing all the same things without it coming out of your mouth. So words and thoughts indicate what's going on in our heart. And we're going to look at three things today that, that if the gospel is saturating your heart, you'll have a big measure of mercy. And then secondly, you'll have a clear eye of humility. And thirdly, you'll have a heart that's made good by the gospel. So those are, those are really the three things. So in verses 37 and 38, uh, this text follows Jesus saying, hey, be like your father. My disciples, be like your father in heaven because he's merciful to everybody. He's merciful to the righteous and the unrighteous. So the flow of the text is about mercy. So immediately on the heels of that statement, he says, judge not, you won't be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. And so he's saying, with the measure that you use with your mouth and thoughts towards other people, that yardstick or that measure will be used against you. And so the, the, this text, I think, has often been used by many people for giving money. And I suppose it could be applied that way, but really the context is about merciful words. And what he says here is that if you have a big measure of mercy in your heart and coming out of your mouth and being expressed to other people, then that's going to be poured back into your lap. And Jesus gives us the illustration here that seems to... um, not really stick well with us moderns, but I used to live in a village in Africa where you would go to the open market. And so I learned a little bit about how open markets work. And so you picture yourself going to the open market and you're saying, I want a liter of flour. And the person has a big sack of flour there at the market. And what they can do is they they take their one liter bowl and they dip it down into the flour and scoop out a, a big heaping a liter of a flour. Well, what you can do if you're the, the person who is working in the market is you can just take your knife and you can scrape the top off of that and say, here's your liter of flour, right? Or you can take your spoon and you can pack it and shake it and press it all down and you're going you're gonna to reduce the volume that's sticking on the top of that liter probably by about a third And then you're going to add in more flour on top. And you're going to have a real full, compressed liter of flour pressed down, shaken together, generous towards you. And what Jesus is saying here, this is about mercy. And so, it's just a question for us. It's an evaluative question. If you come to me and you have intermittent fevers, and I'm looking at your hands for Janeway lesions, I'm saying, what's going on in your heart? Well, Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's saying, do you have thoughts and words 
of mercy? Is that the normal substrate of your heart? Is that the the reflex posture of your heart? Not an attempt to act merciful. This is really important. Not putting on a veneer of mercy, but actually having a gospel-derived mercy down deep that overflows in your thoughts and in your words. And so, you know, this verse, do not judge and you'll not be judged, is probably one of the favorite secular verses around to say, let me do whatever I want to do. And that's not what it means. Nobody's asking you to blind yourself to right and wrong. You you just read the text. That's not the point of this text. I'm not supposed to call lying truth-telling. I'm not supposed to call stealing honesty. So what's the point? The point is, for myself and the people around me, when I see sin and wrong, is the reflex of my heart to be merciful as my Father has been merciful. That's the question. And why? Because in a gospel-saturated heart, I'm very aware all the time I'm saying this is how it would be ideally. I'm not saying I've, I've attained this. But I would be aware all the time of the great mercy that I've received. So let's just take a few things. Um, how are you doing with people who raise their children differently from you? Where they go to school how they're raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, whether they use corporal punishment or not. And you can say, I I can give you Bible chapter and verse that these things are right or wrong. You can make your case about that. But do you see that's not the point? Do you see that's not the point? The point is the posture of your heart towards other people. Now, I've got a good one for you. This is mine. You were very, very careful to only get 11 items at the Publix because you knew that you wanted to get out fast. And you're also very aware that you always pick the wrong line. You always pick the line with the cashier in training or the person with four mountains worth of groceries who can't find their credit card and... um, You know that that whole thing that you're going to have to pay at the end, you can think about that before the last thing's rung up. All those thoughts were going through your mind. So you get there with your 11 things, and the person in the 12-item or less line in front of you has 20. It's wrong, isn't it? They broke the rules. It's not right. You can just test your heart about mercy on that one. Uh, Let's go backwards again. You know, what's the role of government in the United States? You know, you saw the New New England Journal, not New England Journal, uh, Wall Street Journal article of research back in the 80s that said when taxation goes above 20%, societies decline. And you you took that as a gospel truth. And now you're just going to be mad as a hornet if somebody else wants taxes and you don't want taxes. How about a person who's physically able that's not 
pursuing productive work. How about if you're on the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum and you see somebody who seems to be flaunting their affluence with their car, their dress, their house? We have lots of places to judge and condemn everyone. We can be really good at it. And I'll just leave you with the person that's riding your bumper when you're going 60 in the left lane down 378. There's a limit to the degree of transparency that I'll have with you. (laughs) So, you know, the question is, I had some bad thoughts last week. Um, how, How is the gospel applied to my heart? Big gospel of mercy to me as a big sinner, shaping the reflex attitudes in my heart. And, you know, you just wouldn't believe when you have to preach on this and you become a little bit aware of it through the week, just how many times and how long, particularly even with your closest family members, you're not really showing a lot of mercy. So God have mercy on us. Teach us to believe the gospel moment by moment, to have our own lives and hearts shaped by mercy. So Our words will reflect a big measure of mercy when the gospel's at work in our heart. The second thing is we'll have a clear eye of humility. This is verses 39 through 42. Jesus says, first of all, did you know that we're all discipling other people? Children, young children, whoever, elementary school, below, teenagers. Did you know that you're discipling other people? You're in relationships with other people in which your relationship with Christ or lack thereof, your, your mercy, uh, your way of relating to people is shaping them. They're bouncing off of that. And so we all want to take the responsibility for saying that we're all making disciples one way or another all the time. And then Jesus says, well, when a disciple's fully formed, he'll be like his teacher. The people around you, as you model things to them, are going to end up being like you. And so then he goes on to say, why are you trying to help your brother out who has a a fleck of sawdust in his eye when you have a six by six in your eye? Six by six, ten feet long. You know, so it's a a very gross, exaggerated um, uh, illustration that Jesus gives, but it's really actually... A great illustration. So what is Jesus after here? You, do you see this whole, this whole thing of, of mercy flowing down through here? It What's going on in my heart? And then I speak either with mercy or then I speak to people in a way of superiority that I, I've got my act together and I want you to get your act together. And, and we, we rarely stop when, when we want to go, I want to go straighten this person out. Or maybe really in genuine love, you know, you, you're going to somebody, they really have a fault or a problem, but you really haven't stopped yet ahead of time to say, how do I have the same species of sins in my life that this person does so that your reflex posture coming out of the gospel is to go to people in humility, See, this isn't, this isn't prohibiting helping your brother or sister with their speck, right? It's not a live and let live thing. 
It's just recognizing that the gospel tells me that I have a log in my eye. And so you get a clear vision of humility and humble words as you go to another person. And a lot of times it's simply the tone of what we're saying and how we're saying it. I read this week about an eye doctor who was seeing patients through the course of a day and actually went suddenly blind in one eye. Um, He couldn't see out of that eye. And as he went to uh, the ophthalmologist to have this evaluate and whatnot, he found out that he had acute optic neuritis. And basically, he was taken out of the game. You don't want an eye doctor working on you who can't see, right? (laughs) There's a problem there. And, and it took him five years of sort of experimental treatments and steroids and everything to regain uh, his vision back to 2040 in his affected eye so that he could see again. And he needed to do that. He had an obligation to do that to responsibly deal with other people with eye problems, right? And Jesus is really saying the same thing for us. You are an influencer, and people are going to be like you when, you're, when they're fully discipled. And so do you want to clone a whole bunch of arrogant and proud people? Or do you want to be a person who, who has the gospel break you and enable you to walk in humility in your relationships? And I think one of the number one ways, and I hadn't even planned to say this until right now, number the one, one of the number one ways we, we sin in this area is with children. We hold children to exacting standards many times that we ourselves don't meet as adults. And we approach them in a way that doesn't reflect this at all. And we wonder sometimes, you know, why our kids aren't embracing the gospel? Because they haven't seen the overflow of a heart that's really humbled by, by, by the message of the gospel, which says we're deep and big sinners and we have a, a big mercy for us in Christ. So, how does that land with you today? And again, I, I would say for those of you who are married, this is your primary playing field, right? If you'll be aware of this, if you'll take this text and take it to heart for three or four days, it'll get you. I, I almost guarantee you that you're going to find that you're relating to your spouse in a way that, that says, I'm going to get the speck out of your eye while I have a log in my eye. So it really begins in our closest relationships. Well, what's our hope in this? What's our hope in this? Well, what we need is a heart, and this is the third point, we need a heart that is made good, renewed, continued by the gospel. Jesus makes some absolute statements here. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. And you don't get grapes from briars, you don't get figs from thorns, You know, a tree produces according to its kind. And it sounds like you're either in or out, right? (laughs) Well, that would be bad news for for all of us, doesn't it? But really, when you understand the gospel and when you understand how the the, the good news about Jesus comes to us, when you put your faith in Christ, he gives you a new heart that has the capability of having mercy and humility. And so the tree has been made good but it's not already been made completely good. You're already declared to be holy, righteous, justified in Christ. You have a new heart and a new mind, but you're not yet complete. 
So we can say, for those of you who are in Christ, the tree has been made good, but it hasn't been made fully and completely good, and it won't be until the new creation. So we'll always be walking in faith and repentance. So the real question comes back again is, am I on a daily and moment-by-moment basis cultivating the habit of drinking in God's mercy, of seeing myself as the chief of sinners, of believing that I've been both forgiven and declared righteous, that I've been adopted as a son? And and this, this really, you can go long and far with a profession of faith in Christ without cultivating this habit. I was listening one more time to a PCA pastor uh, named Ray Cortez. Ray Cortez has been a pastor down in Florida for 39 years at Seven Rivers PCA. And he just has a great testimony. He grew up in a Lutheran home. Uh, He heard a a believing Lutheran home. Um, He heard the gospel from his earliest years. He had faith in Christ. He was ordained to uh, the ministry and the PCA, which means he knew the definition of justification by faith. But still, way down in his heart, even though all that stuff was in his head, in his heart, what was really going on was, hey, Jesus gave me fire insurance from hell, and now it's on me. I got to go out and perform. And everybody else needs to show up and prove that they're really a believer. And so he planted a church, and it was driven in that direction. They were going to be the true, blue, serious believers who loved everybody and saw the kingdom come, and that was the, sort of the MO for things. And he said that after so many years, he, he had gathered a great big crowd of self-righteous people just like him. That's Ray Cortez's testimony. You can go look it up if you want to. I'm letting him have his own word. And one of the things that, that helped break him was, and this is, comes from a different spot. I heard it at a different time. He was going through the, the bank lines. Remember when everything wasn't done on your computer, you would have to drive through like six windows of those vacuum tubes, and you could look up in the windows and smile at the cashiers and everything, and you, you, the thing went, and you know, then your money came back and all that. You, you're with me? Some of you don't even know that that existed, but... It, it did. Anyway, at that time, there were all the tellers were sitting up there, and uh, one of the tellers, you know, turned off the mic and said, you know, that guy in lane four out there, he's one of the nastiest customers that we have. And the one teller looked up and said, oh, that's my pastor. So she said, well, I think I know him, but maybe I really don't. So she made an appointment to go sit in his office and talk to him. And gradually what began to happen to Ray Cortez is that he began to see that he didn't believe in imputed righteousness. He didn't believe that, that he had been given the full righteousness of Christ and that everything that he was doing was driven by need for self-validation and driven out of his own self-righteousness. And it was a, it was a big humbling for him that was making the tree good. You see, I believe that he was a believer before that. I believe that God had in some sense made the tree good, but he really needed to have a quantum leap of of the application of grace in his life on an ongoing basis, which just transformed everything. He said his his wife was withering under his own self-righteousness. So do you see the invitation that we have before us today? The invitation that we have before us is very simple. 
is to love mercy. To love mercy. To say, Lord, will you fill me with, with a knowledge of your mercy? The depth of my sin and the knowledge of your mercy in the morning. And will you fill it up to an abundance that overflows so that that is the reflex of my heart towards other people would be, would be mercy, words of mercy, a clear eye of humility. And let me just coach you a little bit on how to do this. If you, this is a review of the entire Everyday Gospel series, okay? And it comes just reflecting uh, a thing called the Ordo Salutis. I'm not going to give you, it's not that hard to learn a big Latin word, right? Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation. So you just want to be saying something to yourself like this. Um, there I was, dead in my trespasses and sins, that's Ephesians 2, By nature, I was an object of wrath. Ephesians 2 also says, I was without hope and without God in the world. But God chose me before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined me to be adopted as His Son. And because of His great love for me, I'm back in Ephesians 2 now, because of His great love for me, God, who is rich in mercy, came and made me alive together with Christ even when I was dead in my transgressions. That would be regeneration. I was born again because God reached down and found me. That was His mercy. It wasn't because I found Him. He found me. And He gave me a new heart and a new mind so that I could say, yes, I entrust myself to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I believe in Him. I I repent and turn away from my sins. Oh, and on that note, what God does is the work of grace He's done in your life. You believe. He says, I'm declaring you forever forgiven and fully righteous now and on Judgment Day and to eternity because of the work of Christ, because Jesus died and rose. And then he says, not only that, but I'm going to make you, I've made you holy. Now you're set apart as holy in Christ, and I'm going to work in your heart and life to sanctify you by you believing the gospel and walking in repentance and faith. And guess what? You're my son. You're my daughter. It's not a bare judicial decree, but I really love you. And you always have access to my presence. You're my son. You're my daughter. And not only that, but I've actually seated you with Christ in heavenly places that you've, in a sense, already been glorified because you've been raised to life in your inner person. You see, just to review that with yourself and to say, how how could I hold this in my head alone and not have the reflex of my heart respond in mercy and a clear eye of humility? May God fill us with His Holy Spirit. You know, where, where you're preaching Christ crucified, where the emphasis is on the gospel, according to Galatians 3, that's where the Spirit is. So if you're going to be filled with the Spirit and filled with the knowledge of God, filled with mercy and humility, you keep your eyes right on the cross and the empty tomb and on the depth of your own sin. May the Lord do that for us in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we ask you uh, to work these things in our hearts and in our lives. 
Lord, you forgive us for all the hubris, all the pride, all the judgment, all the condemnation, um, all of the straightening other people out when we have a log in our own eyes. Would you forgive us for those things? And we just thank you that the gospel even covers this. And we, we pray that as we, as we rise and sing, Lord, that, that we would sing with great joy because the work of Christ is sufficient to save sinners like us. We give you glory and honor, Jesus, and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work these things as more fundamental habits of our hearts and mind every day. In Jesus' name, amen.